welcome to Doing the Work, Frontline Stories of Social Change, where we bring you stories of real people working to address real issues. I am your host, Shimon Cohen. I'm excited to let everyone know that we are now offering our Racial Justice and Liberatory Practice Continuing Education Series at Columbia University, Michigan State University, and the University of Houston. These classes are co-facilitated by me and Charla Yearwood, who has been a guest host and guest on Doing the Work. Each course is three weeks long with online content and weekly one-hour Zoom meetings. Our courses cover social identity, positionality, and defining racism, the history of racism in the United States and that it's always existed, white supremacy, white privilege, racism, and oppression in social work, social movements, black liberation, black power in social work, using critical race theory and intersectionality in practice, racial justice and anti-oppressive practice, liberatory practice, and be prepared for backlash. Where do we go from here? Check the links in the show notes to learn more and register. We'd love to have you. In this episode, I talk with Charlotte Yearwood, Cassandra Walker, and Dr. Alan Detlaff about the recent report from the Association of Social Work Boards, ASWB, where they finally released their social work licensing exam pass rates based on race and age. For years, people have been pushing them to release their pass rates by race, and ASWB denied that they even had this data. The report shows large differences in pass rates by race and provides clear data for what many of us have known is a racially biased exam that significantly discriminates against Black, Latinx, and Indigenous social workers. There have been many questions about what makes this exam racist, and ASWB and others have placed the blame elsewhere. We get into all of that in our discussion. We recorded this podcast so we could quickly get information out to folks about this racist exam and continue to be part of a movement to end this exam. So please check out the conversation and get involved. There are links below to a hashtag stop ASWB petition and a recording of a recent hashtag stop ASWB press conference. And resources will be updated as available. I hope this conversation inspires you to action. Before we get into the interview, I want to let you all know about our episode sponsor, the University of Houston Graduate College of Social Work. First off, I want to thank them for sponsoring the podcast. UH has a phenomenal social work program that offers face-to-face master's and doctorate degrees, as well as an online and hybrid MSW. They offer one of the country's only political social work programs, and an abolitionist-focused learning opportunity. Located in the heart of Houston, the program is guided by their bold vision to achieve social, racial, economic, and political justice, local to global. In the classroom and through research, they are committed to challenging systems and reimagining ways to achieve justice and liberation. Go to www.uh.edu forward slash social work to learn more. And now the interview. Hey, Sharla. Hey, Cassie. Hey, Alan. Thank you all so much for coming together for this quickly put together um, interview to talk about the ASWB exam data that came out recently 
And so before we get into all of it, I just want to give you each a chance to introduce yourselves. Um, Charlie, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Hey, I'm Charlie Wood. She, her pronouns. Um, I'm a therapist in private practice in Indianapolis. Cassie? Hey, I'm Cassie Walker. I am a therapist and consultant and do tons of stuff um, in practice in Chicago. Glad to be here. Oh, they, them pronouns. Alan? Hi, everyone. Alan Detloff, he, him pronouns, and I'm dean of the Graduate College of Social Work at the University of Houston. And I'm Shimon, he, him pronouns, host of the podcast. So let's just start out with like what kind of brought us all here together today. The Association of Social Work Boards, who is responsible for these national exams, right, that happen at, it depends on the state, but happen at, um, it can be at the bachelor's level, the master's level, or the clinical level. I think all states have clinical, but some have the bachelor's and master's. They, after years of pressure and denying that they even had this data, finally released a report showing uh, the pass rates by race and age. And this data showed large differences between black, what they label as Hispanic, and indigenous and white pass rates as well as uh, lower pass rates for older folks. And I'm just going to read some of that data so we have it, and then you know we'll get into our discussion of it. So the report uses what's called eventual pass rates to kind of, they highlight this first, they take a graphic of this as like their main focus. But before we get to that, you know, buried further in the report are the first time pass rates. So the first time pass rates for white people is 84%, black people 45%, Hispanic 65%, indigenous 63%. Those are some huge differences. And now we see then there's eventually passed, which again, they talk about first, where white 91%, black 57%, Hispanic, 77%, indigenous, 74%. And before getting, before we get into the whole conversation, just want to point out there that the report never talks about what leads to the eventual pass rates, how many times someone needs to take the test to pass, how much money they spend getting to that pass rate. Yeah, it's pretty sad. And also, again, like they denied they even had this data. So, they were lying. <laughs> they were lying for years. <laughs> Massively lying. Not only did they have the data, they have it broken down all the way down to school. Like you can find your school's pass rates and data. Those are not better. Um, the only identity that sometimes for certain schools yo-yos with um, white folks is Asian folks. But as a whole, their their eventual pass rate is still only 79% compared to 97 um you know and some change both 0.7 but that's that's still a massive discrepancy for something that is being used as one of the biggest deciders of your ability to get jobs and pass after you've already done all of these degrees. I think it's really important to not gloss over 
how long and the extent to which ASWB lied about this. This is the organization that we as a social work profession say we entrust to provide this licensure to social workers to legitimize them. And they lied about not having this data for years, even though they, when they were questioned about it by deans and directors of social work programs, by other professional organizations, they lied about it for years and said they couldn't provide this kind of analysis because they didn't collect data by race or they didn't collect any demographic information. People started sharing screenshots of the information they were providing on Twitter to show that they were giving their age, their race, all of this data, and they continued to lie about it. So I I think that's just important to underscore how much this organization has lied to all of us and to the profession for years before they were essentially forced to come clean with the massive public pressure. Yeah. And not only, not only did they lie, not only has this been a consistent lie, before testing was even implemented, National Association of Black Social Workers and other identity-specific social work organizations opposed implementation of a test because we have known that standardized testing is a problem. It's biased. It's racist. It's been designed and used that way from the get-go. And the original promise was a lie. The original promise was, no, don't worry about that. It'll be fair. The test will be an equalizer. We'll make sure of it. And you've got folks who are behind the test claiming that there's thousands of people who are ensuring that these biases don't exist. And then the report comes out after over 40 years of people showing issues with this test, the report comes out and immediately we've got issues of up to over 50% racial disparity in these data. So if all these people are doing it, then they're all failing at their job at best and at worst, willing, willfully allowing for the allowing and perpetuating harms and economic hardship on black and indigenous and latine social workers trying to get in this field and make a living and do good i think what you just said about willfulness cassie is super important to emphasize too aswb not only did they lie about it They've known for years that the test is racist. They probably for for decades. This data that the goes test back ten years alone. Mm-hmm. But they kept doing it. Yeah. They did nothing about it. They just kept doing it, knowing they had a racist exam. They did nothing to address it. They lied about having the data and just kept doing it for the purpose to keep certain people out and record profits. Absolutely. And in the report. So just quick, two quick things about the report, and then Charlotte, I'm going to turn it over to you to break down um, how we, you know, interpret this these this result these results. But in the report, they never even entertain like any small possibility that their test is racist. Like 
it's always it's all something else is how the, is their analysis and also i just think it's really important to point out too is they don't they didn't release any data on disability and so that is something that you know we also need to see that said um charlie you know how you know you we've talked about this before um off the podcast but now we're going to do it on the podcast of course you know kind of <laughs> yeah. like how do we start to break this down because there's so many different ways that people are doing it so i think it's really important for us to understand when we look at at the data when we look at the report i think there are a lot of well-intentioned folks who maybe will look at the report we'll read the report and say like okay there is clearly something wrong we have black brown social workers passing at one rate we have white social workers passing at another rate we have an age discrepancy. What is the problem? And I think in general, the way that a lot of people ha- were taught and know how to evaluate that information is they're, they're used to saying, then there must be something wrong with the people who are taking the test. There must be some reason that black and brown folks are not able to pass this test at the same rate that white folks are. And I think it's really important for us to understand the inherent racism of that perspective and point of view. What you are saying as you go down that path of that questioning is that there is something wrong with black and brown people as to why they cannot sit in the same classes, take the same test, complete the same assignments, do all the same practicums, and for some reason they're not able to pass the test at the same rate. There is an inherent assumption in that line of thinking that that maintains this idea of racism. And this is what's supposed to be so special about social work. We are supposed to understand the systemic level of how oppression exists and maintains in a society. And when we look at this test and we look at this data with an understanding of of racism as a system, we can see that the test is created to maintain a systemic ideology about how social work should be practiced, how social work should look and, and exist in relationship with the community, and all of that is inherently tied to whiteness and white uh, perspective of how these things should operate. An example of that would be, or a, a parallel to that, would be that there is a diversity of ideas about, um, about community and how people relate to one another, depending on religious backgrounds. Imagine if we only allow, if we allowed for an overwhelming majority of one religious background, which we do, but that's a tangent. If we allowed for a majority of one religious background to create an exam of how you should exist in relationship with community, and then we tested everyone of, of a multitude of religious backgrounds on to that exam. That is how the social work exam is kind of structured. We ask white folks how they think that you should practice social work. And then we test everyone on their understanding of white ideology on how social work should be practiced. And I think that white people, many don't even recognize that the way that non-white people approach the work might look different, still ethical, still within um, reason of what we would expect from social workers, but it looks different because the relationships are different. But that's not being reflected on our tests. Not only is it not reflected, it's not even considered, right? Like when you look at the makeup 
of who's defending, who's creating these tests and everything. It's only recently that when when ASWB knew they were in trouble, then they bring in a black CEO to hide behind. Then they create a racial test task force to hide behind. And I think it re- and even the code of ethics reflects this struggle, right? Because some of the updates that were made um last year, this year, I can't remember when it came out, but um around fighting racism and things like that being inherent to the job, that was a struggle to get in for years because again, what is and isn't quote unquote social work, what we do in our practice and what and how we do it, right? Like on the test, I remember taking both the um master's, I can't remember if Illinois you used to use the master's or the advanced generalist, but when we did, I took that test for that level. And then I took the clinical. And on both of them, the answers always came down to policing, right? You, you know, <laughs> you, you see a family do something that you're not sure about, call DCFS, make a report, right? Things that exactly, harm exactly. Yeah, things that harm our communities. And so when you have questions like that created by people who don't introspect, who don't question what the purpose of this test even is and why these are the questions versus having a test that is rooted in recall and things or actually, you know, a verbal boards test that is actually rooted in talking through cases, if that's what we're talking about. When you don't have any of those things, you miss those perspectives. Like calling the police is an absolute adamant last resort. I'm not, if I don't have to, it's not happening. I'm not filing a DCFS report because someone is engaging in a cultural practice, like co-sleeping past a certain age or something that isn't understood by people who have never worked with us. It also wouldn't be safe for all of us. Yeah, exactly. If you're a black male social worker and you're interacting in a certain environment, you might not, like calling the police might not be your first thing thing that you do. Happened in Florida. Died. But the test is created by white women. And and that is that is what white women do. And so that's how they answer the question. So the the actual measure of the test becomes for black and brown folks, can I best answer the questions how a white woman would? And that is what they're being tested on. Can they take on the perspective of white people and generate that through the questions? And that's that's why we're talking about bias. It's not because there's some question on there that says, are, you know, are black people less smart than white people? True or false? That's not what we're saying. We're saying that baked into the question, to the to the test is an ideology that is held, maintained only by white people. And everyone else must conform to their white understanding of how social work should be practiced, what it should look like to pass the test and get a license. That's racist. I think that really speaks to the the history of this profession, too. That's important to point out in terms of just how we got here. This entire profession is founded on the idea of white saviorism. The entire profession started by white, allegedly progressive women saving 
mostly children. In the early days, it was immigrant children helping them assimilate. And then that moved into saving black and brown children, which is what social work is largely now through the juvenile justice system, through the child welfare system. But this whole idea of white saviorism has undergirded the profession since its earliest days. And when you really think about it, so the reason that those questions always lead to mandatory reporting, calling the police, social work essentially is just a mechanism of social control. That's what it has been since the beginning. That's what it is now. And that's why the questions have evolved over time to become this. It's all about maintaining an exploitable labor class that social work wouldn't even exist without that population to to treat, mm -hmm. to call on. You know, adding to what Charles is saying about the way the test is constructed and 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 there there was an article in uh twenty nineteen, um Castex and colleagues, uh microaggressions and racial privilege within the social work profession, the social work licensing examinations, where they do break down um stereotypes in the questions, like they'll, they, they showed that like, for example, there's a scenario and they're talking about like a Latino family and they're using stereotypes of Latinos in how they describe the family and the practice issue or whatever the question is actually trying to measure that does not like, it could be done without any of that. Like none of that needed to be in there. And what they're saying is so like you're taking it right. And you're, um, me, like me, maybe me taking it as a white person, right? As a white man, I'm taking it. I might not, unless I recognize what's going on with the question, I'm just trying to answer it the right way. Maybe it's not like going to cause like an, a reaction is me in me as it would cause someone who is Latino taking that and, and gets a, gets frustrated of seeing once again, these stereotypes of their own people. And the, then what, and then how that affects them when they're taking the test as well. And it, and it showed that there's like rampant stereotypes, like within these questions. The funny thing about that is if you go and watch the YouTube videos where people teach you how to take the test, they tell you to find information like that and cross it off as not a part of the question and, and extra information that you don't need. But how does that compare to our ideas and what we learn about cultural competent practice? Can you just excuse the fact that someone is a Latino family when you are offering them care, when you are supporting them through whatever we're supposed to be doing as a social worker? It's a contradiction. And again, that's why you have to go back to an understanding of all of the race is racism, white supremacy, this is systemic issues. We're not talking about people being mean. We're talking about how ideas get baked into a larger system that force black and brown folks to conform to whiteness in order to get crumbs, like a license to be able to support their community. You are policing black people from supporting black people and they have to conform to whiteness to get the tools you deem necessary for them to support their own community. That's the racism. Yep. And I remember taking that test and it, I test really well. Um, and but I was so angry the whole time because I would get questions. And the other thing with the test is, and this isn't just social work, but we are centering social work right now. But these tests have questions on them that don't count. 
And so it's also a matter of you can get questions that are ridiculous because they're testing them, but that'll throw you off. And you, and, but you don't know which ones are the test questions and which ones are the ones that count. And so I got questions on my test that used wrong, stereotyped, outdated terminology. I got questions on my test that used disgusting stereotypes about black and queer people. And I'm expected to just say, oh, that doesn't matter for the test and keep trucking. And the amount of of buy-in to the system and to internalized oppression that that requires for that to be possible is is problematic and disgusting in its own right, right? And so harmful. That's also how, because, you know, we, we would be negligent if we didn't mention it's not just white people defending this test. There are plenty of black and brown folks that are like, well, I passed. So there's, there can't be anything wrong with it. Well, I'm glad that you passed. I'm glad you can make a living. Um, and that doesn't mean that there's nothing wrong with it. I passed two and I was furious with the entire test because I had, I was learning these concepts and I was paying attention to them. And the test, as I was taking it, screamed bias, screamed problems. I checked boxes as in my head, I was like, if anyone does this in practice, they shouldn't be practicing. And that is harmful to our communities because anyone who practices like the test is probably the most harmful social worker you've ever met in your life. And that is disturbing. Absolutely. I will back you up as another person who passed the exam on the first time. I'm a Black woman who who did that. I felt very little pride walking out of that office with that past piece of paper. I felt like I just sold my soul to get that LCSW behind my name. I was answering questions in ways that I knew would be harmful to people who I had been serving for years. It, it, it was embarrassing. It was uncomfortable. Um, and I'm sure there are people who were like, well, I felt really good about mine. I really worked hard and, and, you know, yay for you. But if you actually sit down and look at the questions, look at what they asked you to answer and what they actually asked you to say about people who are our neighbors, people who are our families, the test was asking us to make grave assumptions about people with very little information. And that is exactly how some people practice. And that's why we have a problem in social work now. The other thing with this test is that it's never been shown to actually have anything to do with someone being a good social worker. (laughs) So all these people are paying this money to take this test And because they'll say, right, one of the arguments that keeps coming up is it's to protect the public. And it's like, well, who, what public are you talking about? And also, you can't even show it has anything. They can't show it has anything to do with being a good social worker anyway. So it's, it is literally a hoop that people have to jump through that they make money off of. And they, some people get included and we know who gets excluded. So, I just want to call out the racism in that. The racism in the idea that, well, we have this exam and it's what keeps our profession safe. It's what keeps the bad people out. 
And then looking at the data and seeing that the quote, quote, bad people who are being kept out are the black and brown ones. What are you really saying? Right. Are you really saying that you believe that it's the white folks who are the best social workers that there are? And therefore, this test is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Is that what you're saying? I need people to actually face the racism of what they are concluding because they're getting really easy off in the like, well, I just think we need to assess who we let into our programs better. I just think we need to better prepare our black and brown students to go out into the community. Like, are you actually saying you don't think that we come with the same set of skills, if not more skills, because we actually look like the people who you deem needing to be serviced? Like, there is inherent bias and racism there. And I think a lot of people are giving themselves the out of skipping over that and saying, I'm just looking at the data. And that's lazy. It's racist. I think we know the answer to that question, though, now, Charlotte, because they've been, they've known this data for years. So the question is, does ASWB really think that only white people are competent or the people who should be in this profession? The answer to that is yes. That's what they think because they've known that this exam has been keeping black and brown people out of the profession for decades through their racist exam and they did nothing to change it. So yes, I, we shouldn't be letting them off the hook at all. That is exactly what ASWB believes. And not just ASWB, but all of the other professional organizations that have supported ASWB and let them just say, oh, yeah, we can't give that data because we don't collect it without ever challenging them. And I think it's important, like, public safety, it's been been a dog whistle, is a racist dog whistle. It's not my public. I don't feel protected. When, When I teach classes and I have white folks come in while and out like that doesn't protect me when I'm on tasks when when I was on an NASW task force and we got the data back of what social workers are willing to say when they're semi-anonymous like seeing the data from the white social workers in my state yeah no not my public that's not protected. Those people shouldn't be working with my public because at the end of the day, when we talk about the people that our profession and many of the helping professions period insist upon calling their mothers, fathers, and masters of the field, those people feared us. We were the boogeymen under the bed. We were the people that needed to be protected from, right? Abraham Flexner, who is the father of modern medical schools and professionalization, straight up believed and published that he believed that Black people should not be trained as surgeons and doctors. They should be trained as sanitarians whose primary job and goal is to protect white people. And that's who these whole model is built off of. And so it's not protecting the public that we care about. It's protecting white supremacy public. Can I, can I, I'm going to say something real bad in tangent to what you just said. You can look at social work programs and see who are the people who are doing the quote, quote, dirty work, the frontline work and what they look like. And then who is tenured and has power and position in a program. And you can see that that pattern, that idea that there are some people who are meant to do 
the making the decisions and somebody else who's supposed to do the dirty work that exists in every level of social work. Yep. Quiet as it's kept. That's, that's the, that's the same pattern everywhere. Well, I mean, and that's the thing, right, is the jobs that you can get either with the lower level license or Mm -hmm. the license uh, or the non-clinical license, depending on your state, right? Those are actually the jobs that require the most skill and work and nuance and ability to hold complexity. But because we also devalue the people that we call disabled and mentally ill and, and, you know, whatever the people that were warehousing, whether it's prisons or nursing homes, right? Like that test is not designed to help them. Right. Quote unquote, vulnerable populations. Well, they're made vulnerable by someone. Right. They're not just oops, slipped, fell suddenly vulnerable and don't have the same rights. Right. And this test, those are who that's who's being harmed. The public that's being protected is the wealthy white folks. It's the people making the decision. It's the people who have never been licensed, have never had to take the test, haven't seen an internship, a client or any kind of direct service in the last 50 years that are creating these tests and saying that they are the pentacle end all be all and are supposed to take more credit than all of the degrees and the classes and the CEs and the licenses and the teaching and the direct service and the community connections that would actually serve some amount of accountability and safety. But we don't care about that because, well, this is the way it is and we can't go and we we just don't want to do anything about it. Looking at a couple specific boards that have been meeting recently. I I tend to be a, a, a kind of jaded person. Um, <laughs> I don't have, I've had shame about that at times. I don't right now. Um, in that jadedness, I think that even if it wasn't, the academics, the high achieving, they don't see clients all the time, social workers who are making these calls. It is the coworker, white social worker, who does not want to see the black coworker, social worker, get a position and get access to the community that she doesn't have because she doesn't understand why clients come in and tell um, their black coworkers their business, but don't tell the white social workers their business. They don't understand why they have a connection to the community that's not like their connection to the community. And because of that, they want to make sure that other black and brown social workers do not have the access they do because they recognize that they know how to play the system, the nonprofit industrial complex, once they get higher up into higher levels to use it for their own good. And they do not want that access to be extended to their black and brown colleagues who they went through the program with. 100%. 100%. So two things I want to make sure we also talk about as we break all this down is just so it's very explicit that these state licensing boards that are using this racist exam are engaging in a discriminatory practice. And there is a history of the Department of Justice suing, for example, New York City because they were using a discriminatory practice and hiring firefighters. It was actually very similar. There was an exam and the pass rates, there were big differences with um, black and Latino firefighters, firefighter applicants. And the city removed 
got rid of, had to get rid of the exam. And of course, the numbers of who got to be a firefighter went up. So just want to put that out there. And, you know, I think obviously waiting to be saved by the Department of Justice is not, <laughs> is not probably going to happen. But we did it in Illinois on the master's level. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we got rid of the exam. We went from several hundred people getting their their LSW here to uh, over 3000. And it's only August. That change happened January 1st. And so I I think it's important to note that there are people making steps. There is, when it comes to the clinical exam, because of the higher level of capitalism and insurance companies and things involved in the clinical level, there is a little bit more legal red tape to get rid of the exam, and we likely need something to replace it. But again, there are better models. We could actually have something that tests something, anything, besides your ability to answer white, right? And I think that there are there are some um, boards who are saying things like, well, we can't do anything about the test. It's it, it comes down to individuals. And we've already talked about the problem with that logic to begin with. But also, if that was true... Illinois would still have a master's level test. There are absolutely things we can do. Yeah. And you make a really good point about the increase in the numbers. And, you know, with the clinical barrier here with the licensing, I mean, this gets into who gets harmed by this because it's, of course, the individual test takers who are being racially discriminated against. Right. But it's also the communities where we keep hearing over and over again that there's this like shortage of black and brown clinicians, right? And so black and brown communities don't have ac- aren't don't have access to black and brown clinicians. Well, yeah, cuz they're being excluded and then also so then who are who do they have access to? White clinicians who, don't who understand. right? Say that again. People who don't understand the amount of my as a I so I do do clinical practice and and I specialize in various uh, complex traumas. The amount of my job that is undoing the harms that well-meaning white women and white men have done is significant. And it doesn't need to be that way. But again, we are utilizing gatekeeping measures that incentivize folks to think about things as very either or. And so they they use the manualized therapies that don't have good outcomes for in with certain populations because of the fact that it victim blames people for racial for racism and oppressive experiences that they're subjected to. And and so it's really important to note that we're you know, some people may see this and, and folks have strong reactions to people that they perceive as earning more or having the ability to earn more. So folks with a master's or a doctoral degree. But we're not just here because, you know, oh, the social work profession is missing out on all these great people. Social workers are the number one largest group of mental health professionals in a country that is insisting over and over and over and over again, proving that we are in a crisis. 
and you're holding folks with perspectives that may be more helpful than the people who are already here back for no other reason but to maintain a white supremacist definition of legitimacy and rigor that essentially boils down to, well, we didn't include them before, we can't do it out right now, so now we need to hide it behind the science. I think you both brought up a really important point about accountability, too, that we haven't really talked about yet. In terms of which, which has been really frustrating in terms of what some of the response or some of the solutions that have been proposed, which have all largely focused on fixing the exam, making it less racist. But where's the accountability to ASWB for the harm that they've caused to decades as an organization? And how is ASWB going to repair the harm that they've caused to individual social workers financially? emotionally, their feelings about their practice? How are we as a profession holding ASWE accountable to literal reparations for the harm that they've caused? Yeah, the the one point I keep bringing up in these conversations is like the lost salary that people have mm-hmm. not. And you look who it is, you know, so they want to have in their report about the socio conditions that, you know, are supposedly causing their these pass rates, but then the same folks most impact are the ones who are not able to then make the higher salaries. Right. And so they, there's like years of thousands and thousands of dollars that people have lost out on black and brown clinicians have lost social workers have lost out on. Right. That is a, that's a major gap in the whole report is that it doesn't actually talk about what the consequences of this data has actually meant there have been real tangible consequences for millions of people across this country for over 20 years based on their own report. So they're, they're not talking and bringing that to the forefront. I think, as Alan said, that has to be at the, at the front of what we discuss moving forward because real harm has been caused. And these aren't unintended consequences. Everybody will speak to unintended consequences of standardized testing or different things like that. ASWB has known for decades that their exam is racist and that their exam is gatekeeping black and brown social workers out of the field. And they've continued to do it. That's not unintentional. When you know something is harmful and you continue to do it and make no efforts to change that racist practice that's keeping black and brown social workers out of the field, that's not unintentional anymore. It's been known for decades and they've continued to do it and there's been no accountability. And at the end of the day, there are some things that just can't be fixed. And the fact that people have been forced out of this field, like we we talked about how we felt after the test. Like I think the biggest sense of pride and relief I felt was I'm not going to lose my job. And, and so ASWB, I don't see it as an issue of how do we fix them? Get rid of it. Burn the whole house down and let's create something new because there ain't no way. I don't care if you hire a black woman to try and cover up and fix your mess because you finally admitted you're in too deep. Like we see it way too often and that shouldn't be that person's job either to come into the burning house. 
And so we need to let it burn, get rid of it, and we can do something else. We can dream bigger than continuing to harm people and just mitigate it, right? Like individually, harm reduction is great. In this case, we've given them all the benefit of the doubt that existed and then some. What are we supposed to do? What are we waiting for? We like this level of willful, purposeful, malicious harm. You can't tell me that in 40 years of being called out in the literature, in the web, in the webinars, in the, in, in this, that, and the third, in 40 years, you can't tell me that there weren't any opportunities for change. They chose not to. And now ASWB has absolutely proven they are obsolete and will, if given the chance, continue to harm as much as the social work profession is willing to let them. So we can't let them. I'd even question why do we need something else? Yeah. Why can't the solution <laughs> why why can't the solution literally be nothing? Why do we need this exam to legitimize the profession? legal barriers and insurance companies, which not a good answer, but that is the answer that unfortunately we face. Because again, we have lawmakers that are, that are in charge of healthcare. And so we may understand these things. We may get more people understand these things, but they want some quote unquote assurances. And for some reason, all the hoops we already jumped through aren't enough. But again, there are such better ways to do this, right? As far as accountability, as far as what it looks like for social work to actually have some damn accountability to the communities. But what we're talking about is the consequences of social work having sold its soul to professionalism. When social work decided it was when they went down the road of professionalism and professionalization and insurances and that our clinical work needs to look like medical model care all of those things add to the layers of that we now have to play these games, that these games are never going to work for us because the whole idea of professionalization is already playing with fire. This is, this is, this is bigger. And, and every step when we get stopped where we can't even talk about the data of, this, of the exam and that there's a bias, we can't actually get to creating a system that could work for the majority of the community. It's slowing us down. There is, there is information, knowledge, ways of practicing that the Asian community has that I'm not receiving as a Black social worker because we don't have space for that. Like we have to stop hoarding what we've already, what's been done as the way that it has to continue and open ourselves to explore something new or we will all just be smothered out of this profession. Well, that's the epistemicide of white supremacy and colonialism, right? Those ways, those black, indigenous, Asian, Latina ways of practicing, quote unquote, aren't rigorous enough, aren't, you know, legitimate enough, aren't professional enough. And yet, but I, I guarantee every time we find a way to whitewash them, we sure do find a way to make them rigorous enough, don't we? Looking at I um all all the new um stuff around somatics. Do you know how long people 
were demonized and vilified for trying to talk about trauma and somatics, but now we got some white male faces to put on it, so now we can do it. Just make sure that we don't talk about the fact that sound harmonics and and somatics and body work and embodiment and and so natural substances are black and indigenous. It go it all goes back to that, right? Because these tests also further the whitewashing of social work history, right? If we only test the theories with the white names on them, you have to learn the theories with the white names on them. So a couple of things that like I'm just looking at the time as we're wrapping up that I wanna hit on also, like I this has been aw- like I'm so glad we did this and I think um, you know, I hope people who are listening and reading the transcript, um, you know, give feedback and this opens up dialogues. And I'm just thinking of some of the typical responses that happen when this information is presented. And if we can just kind of do like a rapid rundown of some of them so people can, who are following along can catch it. So for example, like, you know, of course there's denying that the test is racist. And I think we've gone into that but then this whole idea of like we need to slow down we need more evaluation i think we've covered that right like there's been this has been going on for 40 years like how much more evaluation do we need we know everything we need to know at this point to know that this exam is racist and the entire system needs to be ended for people who who supposedly love the literature and the research, calling for us to slow down and that we now need to explore what this means, you're ignoring a whole lot of literature. There's 40 years of literature answering those very questions. And then this, and we talked about this around professionalism, but this whole idea of like, well, we need this to, to remain legitimate as a profession, right? And to me, when I hear that, what I hear is I'm willing to allow a certain amount of racism to keep some so-called legitimacy, whatever that even means, because who's it legitimate to? The the kind of funny thing that would come up if I were doing this with a client, if, if I had a client who said something like, I have to do the test so that I can prove legitimacy, I would ask, What's legitimacy? What does that mean? Who's setting that definition? Where is that coming from? How did you come to that understanding? I would question how they came to understand everything that they're holding themselves to. We have to do that process. We need to ask ourselves, what are we actually measuring to? Absolutely. And then this other one, and Cassie, you did a whole thread on this about this white saviorism of like, you know, oh, like the white people are going to come do free test prep for black and brown people. And, you know, we're going to get them to pass the test, you know? Yeah. It, like, I'm not going to rehash the whole thread, but it's it's just more racism. Like, we, we've all seen this Scooby-Doo episode. Like, we pull off the mask and, oh, it's old man racism again. Because... It's, it's again, that idea that there's something 
individually wrong with every single black person you know that's struggling with this test that doesn't like this test and we're taking this very very neoliberal systems don't exist like task of okay we just get this test we just get them to pass okay and so what are you going to do about the psychoemotional um fallout from that test because I'll tell you what, that set, that test sure did take up a lot of time in therapy dealing with the, um, ha- having, being forced into the dual consciousness of that test as a black queer person. And so it's, and again, like it's one thing if someone asks you to help, but you need to know what your strengths are. Do you actually know how to teach? Do you actually know how to help someone through this test affirmatively without just falling back into the white is right paradigm that we are used to hearing our entire lives. It's not the, it's not the help you think it is. It's also that fact of like white folks and especially white women, like you will ask people for help for something very specific. You'll have an ask and then they'll give you the help they think that you need or that they want to give and completely ignore your agency and autonomy. And again, that is just a progressive form of white body supremacy. It's not helping the way you think it is. It's not the slam dunk solution that you think it is. It is embodying and perpetuating the same tired system, the same harms that are a death by a thousand cuts. And then the last one that I'm seeing recently, and I think we're going to possibly see more of this is that students should be looking at the pass rate breakdown by schools and choosing where they go to school based on the school's pass rate, which of course, wouldn't the school's pass rates then be affected by the same pass rates we've been talking about this whole time, that the exam is racist. And also not everyone gets to pick Not everyone can just move and go to school wherever either. And there's costs involved with all of that too. Um, You're right. We can't just say move to wherever and go and do the program. That, That just doesn't make sense for everyone. That's not an available option for everyone. We also, again, if we look at the exam, we understand it as racially biased. Schools that are having students pass at a high rate aren't necessarily teaching their students better. That means that they have more students there who are being who are able to perform whiteness. They are indoctrinating their students with whiteness at a higher rate. Um, so what what are we really looking to achieve? Um, and and again, I think it's important to mention, and we can add this right here. It's important for us to bring together the relationship between the high. As people age, they also performed worse on the test. There was some um, overlap between that and race. So if you are older and Black or you are older and Indigenous, you are less likely to pass than a younger person who was Black or Indigenous. So there's some overlap there. And I think it's important to understand that in the context of go to whatever school 
is going to allow you to pass more easily because what we're actually seeing is that non-traditional students, students who have more experience in the field, students who did not come maybe the traditional route are also not performing as well. And so we need to make sure that students from all programs are able to pass because it's an accessibility issue. And on that, like, we've already been having the school choice discussion, right? Like, come on, it's the same tactic. We're we're talking about, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter if it's an extra hour to get there, just go to the better school. Like, that's not a solution. Again, we are talking about a system that exists. We're not talking about like what's wrong with the school and why is that wrong? Right? Like what where did that failure happen? It's again, if the test is testing whiteness, like maybe a school that's not teaching that is a good thing. <laughs> right? Exactly. Maybe this maybe the fact that experience makes you do worse on the test is something that isn't a good thing. The fact that white 19 to to 29 year olds are doing the best on the test. Yeah, that sounds not good. That whole idea of school choice also, or where that students need to just make better decisions about where they go, just reinforces the idea that the racism of ASWB is okay. It takes the problem off of them and says that students need to make better decisions about where they go to school to better prepare them to take the test. That completely takes the responsibility of ASWB out of the picture. ASWB is the problem. The racism within ASWB that they've known about for decades and have done nothing about, that's the problem. Then that's the problem that we need to end. Right. And just to be clear, like schools of social work have lots of problems with racism and oppression. And we've done number numerous episodes on here about that. And there's a lot else there. But with this, that's in this moment, that's not exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about a racist test, you know, and being specific about that. So when we talk about, you know, that's past rates of the test aren't where to choose to go to school, even if there is a choice of where to go to school, that just reinforces that there's nothing wrong with the test, as you're saying, and that we know there's a whole lot wrong with the test. And to reinforce something that Cassie said to any schools of social work out there listening, do not advertise on your website that you should come here because we have this high percentage of a pass rate on the exam. That's not necessary. That's not a good thing. So I think we've covered a lot on this and just kind of want to make sure that we're not missing something that any of you want to jump in with. And then also before we finish just to talk about like how people can get involved with you know addressing this issue so we've talked about all the things that are going wrong we've talked about why they're wrong we've talked about why some knee-jerk reactions might be a problem and so now uh we don't want to just leave you hanging there are things that you can do as we've talked about, you can talk to and put pressure on your local social work boards. You can talk to your social work programs about what they are doing to help add to the pressure 
um, to stop ASWB. We also have a petition that we are utilizing to show numbers and show support because essentially the vibe is, well, it'll die down. Social workers are willing to accept this level of racism. We just have to weather the storm. So showing that that's not the case is very vital. So also talking to your legislators, um, to your attorneys general is really important because again, this isn't just a siloed social work issue. This is a access to services across the board, whether you're talking housing, whether you're talking mental health, whether you're talking palliative care or anything else, like social workers, we do all of that. All that stuff is us. And so this is really affecting the public. And that is another way that you can get involved and work with folks to put pressure. See if we can't get a um, lovely little class action suit or a government suit against these tests, which, as we've said, there's plenty of proof are harming not only people within the profession, but people in general because of the services that then get denied due to the people being refused the ability to practice. And if I could just support with what Cassie's saying about getting involved in the community and going to your boards and saying something, speaking, making a fuss, we have to get beyond thinking that someone else is going to be the one who's going to make a fuss for us. More of us need to actually get up, pick up the phone, type an email and contact people and do something because there's a small group of us who are trying to challenge ASWB CSWE, NASW, and the rest of everyone else is just waiting on us to get in the door so that they can then ride that wave. And we need more people to actually be helping us push agendas forward so we can all practice and have a a more, um, a practice that actually lives up to its values. It cannot just be the same 20 social workers who are making waves over and over again, because we pay for that. We pay for that. And more people need to actively get become a part of the movement to make change because it's not our burden to carry by ourselves. Your silence is supporting the system and they are taking it that way. They are banking that it's only us saying anything and that everyone else is fine with it because if they weren't, they'd be saying something. And that goes, hey, psychology, marriage, family, hey, all y'all. I know you got these tests too. I'm going to, you know, put the petition in the show notes and on the website and also some wording, you know, that people can use as like a sample. Well, I I think the petition actually has pretty good wording that can be edited that could go to like an attorney general or to a board. I would also just want to add, because I have been in touch with the board here in Florida and like my understanding is they don't have a meeting until November And it's in person, which means, you know, you got to take the day off of work, probably drive, you know, I'm in Miami and I think it's like in Orlando. So that's like a whole issue because then it's like, where are you going to stay and taking a day? And I let them know, like, this isn't really um, doable for most people, you know, and also, so there needs to be a virtual option and there should be an emergency meeting that gets called. Like, there should be no reason that we're waiting until November, you know, that they're waiting I should say they're waiting until November to address this. So 
if you reach out to your board and you're getting stuff like that, you know, th- there's layers of oppression on top of layers to even have access to um, voice, you know, and, and address these issues that we need to also address. All right. Well, thank you all so much, Charlotte, Cassie, Allen. I'm super grateful to all of you for doing this and who you are and what you do in the world. And, you know, thanks for doing the work. Thank you for listening to Doing the Work, Frontline Stories of Social Change. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please follow on Twitter and leave positive reviews on iTunes. If you're interested in being a guest or know someone who's doing great work, please get in touch. And thank you for doing real work to make this world a better place. Oh,